Hey, hey, what's up? How about this, listeners? And welcome to season two of How About This. Jordan and I took some time off so that we can record some new episodes so that we were ahead of ourselves so we don't have to have any delays moving forward. We hope you like season one, but we are back and ready to do this once again. We got a great episode for you coming up, and we have a great season planned ahead of you with some really cool announcements coming up very, very, very soon. So, without further ado, get your ninja weapons ready because it's time to talk about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. What's that? How about this is back? Season 2. Happy 2022, everyone. We're back for the second season of the show. We took a little break so that we could uh, record some more episodes for you, come up with some new ideas, talk to some new guests. And I think we're kicking off season two the right way with a property that could have absolutely made its way into the first seasons. It's one of the biggest properties that I think Jordan and I have grown up with. But before we continue, we have to introduce our host for the show. He's a hero in a half shell and he's green, Mr. Jordan Hugh. I am green. I do the listeners not know that yet? I don't know I, if we've established my I, my skin color is green. Yeah, it's green. And you know it's a lovely shade of green too. Yeah. Well, my father was a cucumber. Mm. Let's yep. not read in let's not read into that, please. We won't. Um don't, don't read into that. Uh, and I'd like to uh, thank my co-host for welcoming back for another exciting season of How About This uh, to Mike Staub, who is the he is the master sensei monkey, because I think in this world you'd be a monkey. I think so. I think you'd be you'd be a mut- mutated monkey. The yeah. ooze. He's the, the master of the ooze. He's the ooze monkey. Yeah. Ooze ooze, monkey. Let's, ooze. You know what? Let's not get into that either. Yeah, you we're not going to. I don't think ooze monkey. We're, we're off to a bad start. No, it's already ba- it's already bad. But that's what we do here at How About This. We do things if, <laughs> very well. Yeah. You know what? If people are still listening, this is what they wanted. Yeah, this is what they wanted. You they asked wanted, for this. They wanted my cucumber father and, and you as an ooze monkey. Yes. I mean, how different is a cucumber father than Pickle Rick, really? You're, you're right. People you know love what? Pickle Rick. People love Pickle Rick. They'll love Cucumber Dad. That will, cucumber Dad's going to be a great sh- series on Adult Swim. It would be. We could my, save Adult Swim. Yeah. My father's a cucumber. That's it. Yeah. That would be. Yeah. That's a much better title for the yeah. show, actually. My father, yeah. my father, the cucumber. My, my father, father is a cucumber. Yeah, that's great. Let's start writing that comic. Let's start drawing that up. Can you make some I panels? Think- yeah, I think you want my father is a cucumber because my father, the cucumber, sounds like it might need a comma. And people don't do well with shows with commas in the title. Oh, once you start putting commas and stuff and punctuation in the title, yeah. people are like, I'm out. Yeah, two guys, a girl and a pizza place. The pizza place was too much. It ended yeah, it up being too much. Two, two guys and a girl. They couldn't then, handle it. Yeah, Ryan Reynolds couldn't handle it. He was just, you know, he couldn't. He had to. He had to dead that Ryan Reynolds. He's he's done some good things since then. He's, I know. I, I believe in this Ryan Reynolds kid. He's going places. I, th- I think I think Ryan Reynolds. Uh, I think he's got a really bright career ahead of him. Yeah, yeah I see. I see. Yeah. I think he's gonna he's gonna make it. I think he'll do okay. I think Ryan yeah. Reynolds will be all right. That Canadian. He's he's the Green Lantern. I know. I know. So <laughs> so bad, but he'll recover at some point. You know what? We speaking of green things. I I know this is a turtle episode. We really should do a Green Lantern episode. Oh yeah. Now, for for this reason, you and I don't like the Green Lantern famously. Not a huge Green Lantern fan. We're not Green Lantern space fans, cops. But, I, but like, if there's something that's like an easy fix, it's that hero because yeah. he's he has a lot that's cool about him. I'll tell you right now, you make it good. That's the fix. Yeah. So step uh, one, make it good. Make step it good. two, question mark. Yeah. Step three, profit. Profit. Yeah, profit. profit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and you got pl- plenty of Green Lanterns to choose from. But we're gonna talk about four I mean, it other. Would, it, 
it'd be Kyle Rayner. <laughs> that's the only, that's the good one. I don't know. I get behind a Guy Gardner movie. Oh, you know what? Totally, man. I'm sorry. I apologize. Guy Gardner would be great. I love John Stewart. He's a Me little too. boring. Um, Hal's the worst though, which is, oh, which is hilarious because Hal, Hal's the OG, but yeah, I don't like Hal at I all. I don't, I'm not, that's Cyclops, the Green Lantern. No, thanks. I'm good. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll save this for the upcoming Green Lantern episode. Yeah, I think. Yeah, no, you're right. When we do Green Lantern, we'll talk about, you know, how to how to make a uh, how to make a new Green Lantern movie. But we're talking about four other green heroes today. Eighties good mutant ninja turtles. Teenage mutant ninja turtles. That's right. Turtles in a half show. Turtle power. So Jordan and I are children of the eighties. At least we were born in the eighties. And we were children of the 90s. So we were born at the perfect time for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on TV mm-hmm. and their incredible line of toys from Playmates. And it was an incredibly influential franchise on pretty much anyone our age. And now the Turtles have gone away and come back and gone away and come back. And they've made movies. And there's two sets of movies for Turtles. There's a whole bunch of animated shows. I think there's four or five different cartoons by this point. Yeah. But the Turtles are something that are kind of part of, you know, millennial, the backbone of millennial culture uh, are the Turtles, the Ghostbusters, you know, the X-Men, Spider-Man. Like these are all things that we kind of grew up with. And the Turtles were really like one of our first things. Sure. It was one of the first things that was really kind of uniquely belonged to us. As we grew up, because I can't tell, I can't, you know, anyone our age, doesn't matter where you grew up in the United States, doesn't matter how you grew up, doesn't matter anything about who you are as a person, you know, the turtles, you know, Leonardo, you know, Donatello, you know, Raphael, you know, Michelangelo, you know them, you know, the turtles, you probably know what weapons they used and you probably know which color bandana they wore. But the Turtles got their start, I believe, in 1980. I want to say 1984. um, As a a comic from uh, Laird and Eastman, who created the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as a giant spoof of 80s comic books at the time, uh, specifically Marvel comic books. But there is a little like Dark Knight Returns in there, a little like Gruesome Batman in there as well. Yeah. And the Turtles were a very ultra-violent, serious black-and-white comic that over time, because they were turned into toys, they got this kind of goofy, fun kind of vibe from them when they got converted to a cartoon. Yeah. But the Turtles have been around for, you know, 35, 36, 37 years. Long time. Long, long time. And they're really part of our cultural fabric. Uh, I love the Ninja Turtles uh, to this day. I still, you know, will buy Ninja Turtles related stuff, whether it's T-shirts or I'll buy a toy here or there. And it's one of those things that was just such an important part of my life as a kid. And I'm happy that they're still around, but I do think that they've been mishandled. But some in some some aspects, but from comics to cartoons to video games to tur- to toys, the turtles kind of did it all. They were like yeah. such a massive multimedia property, and they're awesome for that. And they're they're just why eighties comic books were what they were. You know, absolutely. I, it, what's funny is I I had no experience with anything I think other than that 
whatever it was 1987 cartoon for yeah. like the longest time it yeah. was like it took me into probably my adulthood to get into anything else that was turtles related and then i was like oh shit they're actually they're really cool yeah um and then like you said like yeah, you, you go back and you look at some of the panels from that original comic and you're like holy this is some dark shit yeah this is some frank miller level shit here you know yeah dude it's like they took this ridiculous idea and they took this ridiculous idea of these mutated turtles that, you know, learned nin- learned ninjutsu from a mutated rat. Yeah. And they you know, like like you do, like, like you do. The, cla- like you, the classic like tale, like yeah. you do. And it's just everything that's great about grimy 80s New York. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even like the other supporting characters are very much products of grimy 80s New York. And that might be part of the reason why the turtles don't work as well as they used to, because New York sure. isn't as awful as it was in the 70s and 80s so <laughs> right awful in different ways but yes yeah. not as yes, uh, yes. overtly uh cyberpunk grimy yeah. yeah like like you know it wasn't like blade runner without the technology <laughs> right. so so the turtles kind of come out of this this era of comic books that like they really are contemporaries with the frank miller runs on daredevil and wolverine and yeah the dark knight returns and batman year one and it's very miller it's all very Miller. Totally, you're right. And it's also, it's interesting because they, they're an example. There's a few examples of this, but they're something that, you're totally right, started off as a spoof and then kind of became better than the thing they were spoofing. You know what I mean? Like that that's happened with a few characters over time. I can certainly think Deadpool is a good example of that. Yep. Where it's yep. just like, I'm going to spoof something. And then like people really come to love that thing. Yeah. And then like you became your own thing almost accidentally. And you're like, oh, our mythos is just as good as the mythos we were making fun of, maybe better. And, and it kind of grows from there. Yeah. And uh, you're right. And to the Turtles credit, the mythos has continued to grow because there are more Turtles comic books. The comic books now might be better than they've ever been. Uh, IDW's run on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is excellent. It's dark. It still has the charm that the Turtles have. It's 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 heartfelt. It's beautiful. It's really well done. And the most recent thing I've read from the Turtles was the the last Ronin which is like their version of The Dark Knight Returns, which is uh, it's like a very dark cyberpunk futuristic turtles where there's only one turtle left. And mm. that one turtle is going to take down the new leader of the Foot Clan. And I'm just break... going to assume, I assume it's Raphael. It's not. It's, it's not. not really? Okay. It's such a good plot twist at the end of the first episode. Oh, don't, issue. Let's, we can't spoil it. We can't it's, spoil it. All honestly, right. it's, yeah, it's, dude, it's, it's great. Like when you okay. read it and you're like, oh God, no. And it's it's really cool. But what's your experience with the Turtles, dude? So I, I, I am not at all a Turtles expert. And I feel like if like there is a Turtles expert listening to this right now, like a friend of the show, Charlie Rivera, I know is a huge Ninja Turtles fan. Uh, he's probably screaming at us already. Um, the um, I am not an expert. Uh, I think, to be honest with you, this is this is strange. I think the first experience I had with the Ninja Turtles were the toys. Yeah. Being a, a young boy of the late 80s and the early 90s, I had the big toy bin that lived under my bed. Yes. And they were probably like half the fucking toy bin was Ninja Turtles. I had distinctly remember I had all four turtles and I had Shredder and Splinter and Baxter Stockman and Leatherhead and at least one or two of the other characters. And more than that. And I really played with them without even knowing who they were. Yeah, I don't even think I had seen all the episodes yet. I had the toys first somehow. 
And then I would just really try to watch that show on Saturday mornings. And like, that is something that you would like play on the playground. I was always Donatello. That's my boy. Donatello was my turtle. That that was something I just came to love. And like you said in the intro, this was a part of that tapestry of stuff that we would watch on Saturday mornings. This was part of Ghostbusters culture. This was part of all that stuff that was, yeah, it was, it was in your toy bin. It was hanging up as a poster in your room. You would pretend to be these things. You would play with the action figures. It was just part of that kid culture. Which is why I think, you know, those things that like Ghostbusters, like Turtles, it's it's part of our like our nerd heart. Yeah. As we grew into yeah. as we grew into men and we were still attracted to those stories. Uh, how about you? Yeah. So I like you started got into the Turtles probably through the toys and probably the cartoon. Yeah. My mom tells a story. Um, she tells us all the time because my parents, my mom actually loved uh, the Ninja Turtles. Uh, she loved that we watched them. She, you know, made us like kind of keep all of our stuff. Um, When I was a kid very young obviously when we were very young because turtles started in 87 so i must you know by the yeah. time by the time you know i was able to you know kind of run around and talk about it, it was probably like 88 by this point and i was rattling off my mom tells a story where i was rattling off all these names or leonardo and donatello Raphael, michelangelo and all this stuff and my mom was like oh my gosh how does my son know the names of all these renaissance artists oh yeah cool and then she found out that i was you know reiterating the teenage mutant ninja turtles <laughs> who happened to be named after Renaissance artists. And she was like, oh, well, that's great. And I love that about them, that they're named after like these prominent Renaissance artists because their rat dad was a fan of Renaissance art. I think that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And uh, I definitely love the cartoon as a kid. To this day, the first, I think, half of the first season of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I think it's six or seven episodes in 87, mm -hmm. were animated and drawn by Tokyo Movie Shinsha, who would go on to do like Batman the Animated Series, DuckTales, a lot of the really great animated things of the 1980s. And Turtles never looked as good as those first six or seven episodes ever again, because those Japanese studios just like, it's the same studio that did Akira. So like these studios know what they're doing when it comes to animation. And obviously Batman, the animated series is amazing, right? I think folks from that team went over to just specifically work on, on Batman, the animated series. But, uh, you know, I was in love with the cartoon. I had so many of the toys. I had the party van. I had the technodrome. I had the, the sewer. I had wow. the, I didn't have any of that stuff. I'm jealous. I had so much of that stuff in, in my house as a kid in my basement. And it was just like all out war all the time with all the characters, you know, I had the motorcycles and I had the, the helicopter that the turtles had the blimp. It would just play endless hours of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And to this day, I have a really, I have a real appreciation for not only the turtles, but like how they kind of build their villains, like the levels of villains within the turtles are great. And I think that's why they work so well for video games yeah, because the rule. turtles, the turtles video games are awesome. The Konami made turtles video games, the beat em ups, not the original Konami game on the NES. The first Konami Turtles game, the old quote unquote ultra games Turtles is is terrible. That game's not yeah, yeah. very good. Great music, great soundtrack, great, great Konami music. But it's it's the arcade game from 1989 that's really good. It's Turtles in Time, which is it's unbelievably good. And it's they work that way because you walk through these stages, you fight the foot soldiers who are perfect fodder. And then like when you get to the end of the stage, you have a Baxter Stockman, you have a they have great mini boss potential. You know, you have Bebop, you have Rocksteady, you have those stone soldiers from the from whatever dimension you've got. And then eventually you build up Shredder and Crank. So I think that the Turtles have this really great aspect to it. But I grew up with the Turtles, cartoons, video games, toys. I didn't really get into the comic books because I didn't know they were comic book characters until much, much later. Yeah, same. Uh, I remember playing Turtles in Time in the Super Nintendo and you could change the art style from cartoon to comic 
And at that point, I'm like, oh, but the Turtles comics. And then later on, I would get into to the comics and I've read a lot of the Mirage stuff, which is very good. And I continue to read the IDW stuff when I can, especially The Last Ronin, which I think is awesome. Uh, my Turtle, obviously, it's not hard to pick. It's not hard to gauge or try to figure out who my, my favorite turtle is. They have a turtle named Mikey. He's my favorite. So he's been my favorite. He's a party he's, dude. He's the party dude. He's the wild man. He's a lot of fun. He would probably be Raph if he was angrier, but he's not. So uh, Michelangelo has always been my my favorite of the turtles uh, just because I do like one. I think nunchucks are great. And oh, yeah. two, I like that personality of like the wild fun guy who's, you know, going to try all, the, all these wacky moves and do all these wacky things. So uh, yep. Michelangelo was always my favorite turtle. You know what's funny in terms of image crafting? I, I I already knew Michelangelo was your favorite. What's funny is I think when we're like at our best and we're centered, like I really am Donatello, like in life, and you really are Michelangelo. Like when we're when things are going well for us, yeah. But yeah. I think when we become frustrated, I think yeah. you do become Raphael. I I think you're and right. I become Leonardo, yeah. which is like the officious, like I'm in charge, like prick. And I think that's like that's like what. I think that's what drives a lot of the personalities in these stories. Yeah. You know, is you have the more passive, laid back, I would even say more nurturing characters like a Donatello or Michelangelo who can appreciate the finer things in life sometimes. And then Leonardo and Raphael who are so beaten down by like the code and their own personal sense of honor and principle. Yeah, no, it's true. And I love how they kind of parallel the X-Men to a degree you know they, it's the same dynamic they it's have the a very dynamic. similar team dynamic to the x-men yeah whereas sure. donatello is essentially your beast michelangelo is essentially right. your Iceman. cyclops yep. is leonardo wolverine's your raphael and it's 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 great i love that dynamic of the turtles uh, i think they have great characters i think the turtles across <laughs> unfortunately the like there is just april is like the girl which is yeah the, the gene the role gene used to serve. yeah that's a shame uh that but april april's awesome i i think they've they've continued to make april a better character you said it later incarnations particularly beginning with like that 2003 animated show made april much more of like a character rather than just being like and this is the girl yeah exactly and uh i was also a big fan of the original teenage mutant ninja turtles movie from 1989-1990 the first one is good the first one has has merit i don't know if i could say it's good it's it's watchable I, i we've watched that in my house uh nonstop. that was you know that was the movie that was on yeah. repeat, repeat. My yeah, brother would good. repeat it, it over and very over. Very watchable. Yeah. It's a fun movie. It's a movie that uh, I liked as a kid, for sure. But I, I don't think I, it was not one of my repeatedly watched this movie movies, but it was good. And then the second one is not good. Like no, distinctly not, no. not a good and, movie. And the third one's worse. And, uh, and, I didn't, and no, I didn't even see the third one. And they don't even, they don't even, they don't even get better because the Michael Bay ones aren't very good. <laughs> uh, I think there's aspects of them that look cool. I think well, the Bebop and Rock ones, City, they like don't look like them. Do you know no, what I mean? Like no. they, the look they created was not good. What makes those first that first movie look great is they're they're Muppets. Essentially, yeah. the yeah, Ninja well, Turtles the, are Henson. Yeah, the practical effects on them were really good. And even though there were some aspects of them that were clunky, like they really seemed like they sprang out of the cartoon. They did a good job. They did a good job. They had all the all the lingo. Yeah, you know, they had this fun teenage atmosphere. They loved pizza. It's ridiculous. It all works together, but it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it's such an important part of who we are. I mean, uh, how much of our lingo that we said as kids was derived from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles saying tubular and radical and awesome and cowabunga? Okay, we got to talk about cowabunga because in the pre-show, you upset me greatly. I learned from you. 
Michelangelo doesn't say Cowabunga anymore. What the no, fuck? on the TV show, the newer one, one of the newer TV shows, not the newest one, the one on Nickelodeon that they did, the CG one, which is actually excellent. It's I hear it's excellent, good. I hear it's very excellent, good. I excellent it's show. Very, very good. Even the 2003 Turtles is very good. Uh, uh, it's also good. Yes, people like that one a lot. Yeah, they changed. They said that Cowabunga was outdated. It was something that was really big in the 80s. Well, fuck them, man. Listen, Bart Simpson says, eat my shorts, okay? And Michelangelo says, Cowabunga. Cowabunga. That is what he says. And I That's will right. not accept anything else. I agree 100%, but they changed it to Booyakasha, which... That's fine. He could say that too, but his catchphrase is Cowabunga. Yeah, always. Cowabunga, sometimes Cowabunga, comma, dude. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things where it's upsetting that they don't. I was very upset to hear what my younger cousins told me when I'm like, oh, they still say Cowabunga. They're like, no, they say Buyakasha now. I'm like, Buyakasha is fine. That's a great celebratory thing to say. But it's man, fine. I, I, mi- I love dearly. And I also dearly miss my just 90s dude characters. Okay. Yep. I miss my Michelangelo's, my Sonic the Hedgehogs. I miss my Bart Simpsons. Like there is just a fun, good aspect to them. I don't want them to change, you know? Yeah, no, it's good that they have that time capsule. They, you know, I, but they don't need to change that. Like those, that personality still exists. I know it's like a little dated, but like you could update it without changing the cat. I don't know. I'm just being a grumpy old man, but I, I love Calabunga. Oh, I, I agree, dude. I think Calabunga is perfect. I think it's a great <laughs> phrase. Every stage when you win in every Ninja Turtles game, they all jump up in the air and they say Calabunga. And it's perfect. Nice. It's perfect. But, you know, the turtles are, are awesome. I've it, always been a big fan of everything they've done. I love their villains. They have a great the, rogues gallery. The, so the rogues gallery is awesome. I was actually just going to ask. So we just I just asked you or, or you just told us what your favorite turtle was. Do you have a favorite villain that isn't Shredder? Because obviously, well, obviously the best. Shredder we all know the best. Shredder is the best, obviously. I love, love, to an obsessive degree, I love Bebop and Rocksteady. You, you do like I them. I love like them a lot. Bebop and Rocksteady. I They're love fun. the fact that one of them <laughs> is a giant warthog and the other is a rhinoceros. And they're like these New York 80s street punks. Yeah. And it's like, it's great. Bebop has a giant pink mohawk, purple mohawk. It totally rules. Rocksteady is dressed in military fatigues. They're both absolute idiots. But yep, man, they're ter- terrible henchmen. Awesome. Awesome. I love uh, Rocksteady, Bebop and Rocksteady. I actually have a comic book. The IDW did a comic book called Bebop and Rocksteady Destroy Everything, which is Excellent. just a fun read. I love them so much. They're 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 so good. What about you? It's actually Leatherhead, who I yeah. know a lot of people don't like. Yeah. Leatherhead is there is the crocodile villain, possibly alligator. I don't mean to be reductive. Um, he's uh, he's awesome. I, I always I, he was a really good action figure. Yes, um, and I, I think that inspired my love for him. And then I saw him on the show, and he's like this sort of Cajun madman. Yeah, he's <laughs> a Cajun gumbo eaten madman alligator. Yeah. He's very fun, and I, I really enjoyed my time with him. So really, really cool. So he was my favorite. Mike, I got to ask you. Now, uh, I know we're, we're coming up to pitches pretty soon. Before we pitch, is there anything that you think is wrong or confusing or complicated about this property? We clearly love and respect this property. This is something we revere. It's from our childhood. It's on a high shelf for us. But is there something that now in in 2022, because this is a this is a New Year episode, that you're like, oh, you know what they could do with the turtles uh, without giving your pitch away? Is there something that you're like, oh, this this is kind of messed up? You know, I think that I think what you said is right. I think that my main issue with the newer turtle movies, other than them not being written very well, is that the look of it is too futuristic. 
Yeah. They don't look like the turtles. They look like these weird monsters. They're gigantic and they don't look very nimble. Uh, and when I think ninja and I think, you know, martial arts, I think, you know, strong, but nimble, agile people. And that is yeah. the humor about them because they are turtles and tur turtles are slow. But I, I also feel like because they have this set of like chrome all over them that the Michael Bay movies tried to keep some of the fun. But in doing that, they made it too futuristic and too modern and took away their personality to the great to, to a degree. And the problem with the Michael Bay movies is that like the Transformers, because everything looks like it's covered in super shiny chrome, you can't see anything. Yeah, nothing looks good. The turtles are their best. And there's a the end of the 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 newer turtles movie where like they're fighting Krang and everything's made out of metal and it's and Brad Garrett's doing the voice of Krang it's stupid <laughs> and like I'm watching it and I'm like this is dumb but there's a scene where Casey Jones is fighting Bebop and Rocksteady and even they look too ridiculous too CGI too big yeah and I think one of the and you know I love Bebop and Rocksteady and I think one of the crimes of the original films is that they weren't able to get Bebop and Rocksteady in the movies. And yep. they had to replace them with Toka and Razar, who just aren't as fun. Right. And the turtles at their heart are fun, serious when they need to be. And just like you kind of kind of look past the ridiculousness of it all because it's like, OK, there's this serious. Honestly, it's a serious samurai story. Sure. Right. It's two samurai or two teachers of Japanese martial arts who are at war with each other. It's not that different than the resurgence of the Karate Kid with Cobra Kai. Sure. You know, to a degree, you know, you have Splinter is very much like your Miyagi-Do and, and Shredder or, um, you know, Orukosaki is kind of like your, your, your Cobra Kai where he's like this much more offensive, but he's like dark and, you know, in, in the whole crime world. But at the same time, his name is, name is the Shredder because he has cheese graters essentially on his on his armor. <laughs> and it's it's a way you have to be able to walk the line of blending the ridiculousness and the fun with the seriousness. And I think that turtles are great at that because when you're watching them at their best, it's kind of like, oh, this is a really good samurai story. And then you realize there are a bunch of like human sized turtles who can talk and eat a lot of pizza. But to me, the best the best stuff in a Ninja Turtle ever is a rainy rooftop. And the turtles are fighting Shredder. Like you don't get better than that. It's better when it's it, it's kind of just a little bit more grounded in that, uh, you know, decades long grudge between Shredder and Splinter. Really, yeah. that's the mm -hmm. best. Also, while I know in the comic books and in the first movie, Splinter was a mutated rat that turned into like a human sized rat. I actually like how the cartoon did it better where he was a human who the ooze kind of transformed him into a rat person. I like that I, better. I also prefer that. Because yeah. then you have a human versus human grudge. Yep, I like and, it better and, too. And, and that works. But uh, I think that's- Much better pathos than, yeah, mm -hmm, for sure. I think the, what they get wrong with the turtles is that, you know, they they just forget what they're about and where they come from and how serious their, their fight and their, you know, kind of decades long, I know the turtles aren't that old, but the decades long war, I guess, against the Foot Clan uh, and Shredder, how important that is to the story. And you can have fun, but still also be a little dark at the same time. What about you? For sure. Well, you know, it, this is kind of my gripe, but it's not anyone's fault. It's kind of just how society evolved with this property is like, I don't really know what 
society wants from the turtles versus what they started off with. Um, yeah. You know, that's not really that well said. What I mean is this. It's kind of like, all right, hey, you have a blank check to do this. What do you want to do? Do you want to do like a basically like an NC-17 fucking bloodbath yeah. with these characters if you're going to go live action, like the kind of stuff that like is nauseating because the turtles do have that in yeah. their canon of what has happened to them. There is mutilation, torture, disfigurement, all that stuff that comes from pulp pulp comic book traditions, right? Uh, and, and some of those are reflected even in the newer animated series, like the 2003 has torture, mutilation, all that stuff too. Um, it's like, do you keep that stuff and try to honor where the book is coming from? Or do you try to honor how people came to know it that didn't know the comics? Do you honor the fun and the lightness of the animated series? Is that what people are really looking for? Because it's like you're trying to honor the fans, but there are two camps of fans. Yep. There's the fans that like the gritty, almost borderline horror, you know, pulp comic stuff. And then there's the fans that just love the cuteness and the fun and the adventure of the animated series and like some of the films and stuff like that. And it's that's a really tough line to walk because someone's going to be really unhappy. Yeah, you know? you're right. Uh, you make it too dark, you alienate the family crowd, you make it too light. You you know, the hardcore fans want nothing to do with you. Uh, really, really tough. So no, I, I, I think that's that's the challenge with the property. I think you're 100 percent right. And you kind of have to make that choice, right? You kind of have to make that choice. Maybe I'm. Maybe I I think maybe I'm a little incorrect in thinking that there's a way to walk the line. You're not you're not incorrect. I think it's just it's really hard. It's just difficult. And I think I think most people don't know the turtles as the violent, dark, gritty turtles that that existed in the 80s. I think most people are familiar with the kind of cowabunga dude turtles of the of the late right. 80s and early 90s. Uh, mm -hmm. but I remember. Uh, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I think I think the 80. I think the the IDW run really does a good job of kind of. Mm -hmm getting you to where the turtles need to be. Yeah, I remember, uh, I don't know if it was you or someone shared with me a, a panel from, I think it's the Mirage uh, uh, yeah. telling mm -hmm. of turtles where uh, like Raphael gets like his face burned off. He's like disfigured. He, he, he does like a whole villain turn. And I'm like, this is, and the panel's disgusting. And the person that sent this to me, I guess it wasn't you, was just like, oh, you have no idea. That's <laughs> just like, that's the tip of the iceberg of what happens in this comic book. And I'm like, oh, fuck me. I guess the turtles are a lot more hardcore than I realized. And I don't know if, uh, I don't know if that's the future of them. Do you know what I mean? I don't think anyone wants that. Or if they do, I don't think it's the majority. No, I think the majority wants, you know, and I love that. Like, I think that's great. I obviously cool. love, you I know, love there's 80s a, There's comics. a place for it. Yeah. And, you know, it's 80s comics, it's 80s manga, it's this whole cyberpunk vibe, uh, this kind of dark cyberpunk kind of vibe, you know, where you've got stuff like, you know, Batman, Dark Knight Returns, you have Daredevil, you have Batman Year One, but at the same time, you have stuff like Alita Battle Angel, and you have Akira, and you have this stuff that, you know, all kind of plays into the where the turtles can go or what the turtles can do. And I think the last Ronin really captures that. And okay. I yeah. think that's something that kind of understands where all those influences are coming from. But, you know, I think, I think they have to try their hardest to kind of walk the line and not make it Batman versus the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So, <laughs> oh boy. Though that's kind of fun. That also. is totally fun, but yeah, well, it's, it's hard. Do, do you think it's for families or do you think it's for adults at this point? Or is it for kids? Like who that's, that's like our question that, and that's, what's going to challenge us in our pitches is, you know, who's this for? What's the audience for the turtles? I honestly think, I think you gotta, I don't know if I would want to go family film with it. Okay. 
I kind of want to go teenager with it. Okay. I want to go after the teenagers who that makes kind of kind of like, I mean, it's a it's it's their teenage, teenage characters. Ninja Turtles. Sure. Yeah. And I think it's important to have that teenage element that, you know, what makes the new Spider-Man movies so good is that they kind of embrace finally embrace this kid who's like this teenager in this and kind of in over his head. And the turtles are super trained. But the thing that makes their biggest conflict a lot of the times outside of their villains is between each other. And you have these four teenagers, essentially, who are kind of like trying to keep it together, but their philosophies are so different and their attitudes are so different and they're and they clash constantly. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of what makes it great is that they also have to learn to work together. And I think that's what you can do with it. I think you can go after a teenager audience or, you know, Mm -hmm. an audience that's cool with a little bit of blood, but like also, you know, not crazy with like i don't want it to be like you know a horror movie yeah yeah you know right. but you know some of like the kill bill vibe kind of works um, I, for something I totally like agree. this yeah mm-hmm. uh and mm-hmm. and i think that's kind of what i'm thinking okay. so is, i is like it, it is it pitch time i think it's pitch time i think we could probably pitch you want to go you want me to go uh i could i could do either i'm i i feel i like my pitch i don't know if i like it enough to go first i don't know whatever you All want right, i'll go then okay so I'm pitching a movie. I'm pitching a okay. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. And mm-hmm. we don't need to see... Oh, so how about this? There it is. The first one of the new season. Cowabunga, dude. Cowabunga! We don't need to see the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles origin. We know they got caught in a bunch of ooze. Uncle Ben gets shot. Uncle Ben dies. Right. Mm-hmm. We all know that they were turtles. They're in a pet store. They were dropped down, down the sewer. Right. Ooze. And Martha Wayne's pearls uh, scatter into the sewer grate. And they're made out of ooze. Right. That transforms these turtles into, you know, human sized turtles. I want it to take place a little bit later. I actually want the turtles to be a little bit more experienced. I want them to be in their later, quote unquote, teen years at this okay. point. Yep. I don't want these turtles to be green. Well, you know what I mean? I want them to be green. And probably four different shades of green, because I really do like when they do that, where like one of them is like a forest green, one of them is like regular green. It one does of them is help. like olive green. It helps when they take their masks off to know which yeah, one is which. Yeah, I like when they have like a little bit of a different color. Like Donatello was always like an olive green when they right, did he was that. Like, he was the olive boy. Yeah. 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 I like that. I like that. And he was also Corey Feldman. He was in, in the movie. <laughs> yeah. And that's Corey Feldman's best performance. Quite possibly. And I want this movie to start, you know, after that. I want their, the TMNT, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are out in a job and they're in NYC and they're in the party van and they're like rolling through the streets and they're whack, listening to some like wacky like 80s music because I'm like into this like Guardians of the Galaxy thing now because I'm playing the, the newest Guardians of the Galaxy game and like the oh, music yeah. is such a big part of it. Absolutely. And they ultimately stop and they're they're in the middle of the city and in the, in the streets, they're... They, they fight the Rat King. Like at the beginning of the movie, they're fighting the Rat King. He's New York City's getting overwhelmed with all these mutated rats. And they just have this fodder <laughs> villain at the beginning. And they're like fighting the Rat King. And they're like making jokes about it. And they're like, okay. can you believe we're, we're doing this? Like, this is this is nuts. I can't believe we're fighting all these mutated rats. I can't believe this guy is back. I thought we got rid of him. All these things. And they're coming out of the sewers and they're fighting them off. Eventually, they get to the Rat King. Okay. And they beat him up and the rats disperse. And they 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 you know, the rat king gets arrested or whatever. He goes back to the sewers and 
what they do notice is they notice that these rats have some of this weird, like, I'm going to say that it's like extra dimensional residue on them. Like they're kind of like gross. There's something even more gross about it. I already know where you're going. So Donnie investigates, obviously, and he starts to put the puzzle together. And the turtles, through conversation, you know, they're talking about how quiet things have been. And they finally got rid of Shredder. And that Donnie's continuing to like study this rat and what's on this rat and this mutagen. And he kind of like understands. He's like, hey, guys, I don't know what where this is from or what this is all about. And he's going to study it because he's Donatello and that's what he does. And then what I want after that is I want to cut. And this is in the beginning of the movie, towards the beginning of the movie, after this big fight scene with the Rat King in the middle, like Times Square, right? Times Square is like overrun with rats. And I don't know if I want it to be period. I'm, I was fighting with myself whether I wanted to make this a movie that was set in the 80s or a movie that is set now, but heavily in, influenced by the 80s. Interesting. I don't know. What do you, what do you gain by moving the period? Uh, meaning having it in, take place in the 80s? Yeah, what do you gain by putting it in the 80s? Other than but, that, it's cool. It's got the, the the proper vibe, like you know, because you want a dirty New York. It's is like a dirt. It? It's like a dirtier New York. But so you could, well, you can make it period then, because New yeah. York is very clean right now. I yeah. mean, that's just yeah. it's just the, how yeah, it is. It so is. if you want, if you want dirty, grimy crime New York, I, the eighties is better. The only problem is, is that technology is better now. So it's it's kind of oh, a hard thing. Yeah. So like, well, does I guess we should hear the rest of your pitch. Does your movie heavily factor in like advanced technology? Yeah, it could. It could. Okay. Well, finish your pitch. So, Sorry. so the turtles. No, that's fine, dude. This is this is why we talk this stuff. This, this is the workshop. So they t- they 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 get rid of Shredder, and Shredder has been put in prison. And the way I have it is that they cut to a prison, and Shredder is stuck in a prison cell without his gear, and he's in like the tightest lock of imaginable in this super high tech Japanese prison because he was you know extradited and sent over to Japan. Um, and it, it appears as though the last time the turtle stopped him, he was he was picked up by Japan's government and put in jail there. And he's been kind of left in his cell to rot, but you see him like quietly meditating, you know, you kind of, when the turtles are talking earlier in the movie, you hear that the Foot Clan's not even around anymore. So they're kind of just putting out little fires here and there, and they're kind of getting to live this like New York life. And we get flashbacks of the last fight that the turtles had with Shredder when he got locked up. And of course it's on a rooftop in New York city in the rain. And this represents what they refer to as the fall of the Foot Clan. And Shredder's meditating and he's seeing these flashbacks. And while you're seeing these flashbacks, little holes in space time open up. And out from these little holes in space time, you get the Mausers come out. And the Mausers help Shredder get out of his bindings and they help him escape. And these were uh, Baxter Stockman's, Baxter Stockman's little yeah. robot guys, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you see him get his gear. And Shredder gets his stuff back together and they kind of break him out of prison. And then he you, he ends up going into through all these these things that the these extra dimensional portals that you see Shredder walk through. He gets into um, Stockman, Baxter Stockman, who is human at this point, Baxter Stockman's uh, laboratory. Not never for long, <laughs> never for long. And I, I don't have a lot of casting for this movie because I don't yeah. know because no, the fine. turtles can be voices. I sure. know that I definitely don't want Megan Fox or April O'Neil. Um, Baxter I've got St- a, you, do you want my Baxter Stockman? Because I think he's perfect. I have my Baxter Stockman. Oh, Who's your then, Baxter? No, then please. No, All go right. ahead. My Baxter Stockman is actually... Um, hold on one second. My Baxter Stockman is, is Richard Iote from uh, the IT crowd. 
he is i, I think don't know perfect who that is. i think okay. he's perfect he's from the I'll it to, crowd I'll look him up. I'll look him up. he's in a couple of movies uh he's in a couple of american movies but he's in a lot of he's a hilarious uh english english um comedic actor and oh, cool man that's awesome awesome I, i'm a big fan of his i think he's so funny on the it crowd he's so funny him and chris o'dowd are just awesome on that show but richard iota is is hilarious i actually was my pick for q as well for the younger sure, sure. james bond movie and uh um, chris o'dowd is a good guy too. you could get him in on this I, chris a, a big funny dude yeah big funny irish guy i love chris yeah. o'dowd and i have like shredder i i love this actor so much um, I'm a big fan of Hiroyuki Sonata, who we know f- as um, he's he's uh, Musashi in in uh, oh, uh, Westworld. In Westworld, and he's yeah. he's Scorpion. Oh, he fucking rules. Yeah. He's Scorpion in in the new Mortal Kombat movie, and that movie's bad, but like he's awesome, and I think he's just such a great Japanese actor, and he's such a per- he's the perfect age for Shredder because he's like oh, in his that. early 60s. I think he would be awesome as Shredder. And, you know, the rest of the cast is kind of you kind of get voice actors, right? You kind of get voice actors to play the people. But I do want practical effects. I want the turtles to be as practical as they can be, kind of like how we do like the Hulk or some of these other characters in the MCU where they use practical suits and stuff, but they kind of CG a little bit over them like Spider-Man or Deadpool. Yeah. So um, so what happens is, is you know, time progresses and. Um, and we can see, you know. Uh, Baxter, when you meet Baxter, there's something going on with him too. Like he's got some of this weird mutagen on him as well. Like this kind of pink kind of weird stuff going on about him. And, and it's very similar. And some of the Mausers are kind of covered in this, uh, in the same sort of mutagen, but because they're robots, they, they don't get mutated. Right. Right. And obviously Baxter has been messing with some sort of extra dimensional, manipulation and time and travel and time and all this stuff he did and not learn from jeff goldblum he did not learn from he jeff should, goldblum. he should have paid attention yes exactly and i think shredder and stockman kind of formulate this plan that these 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 dimensional risks that he's creating can actually allow shredder to travel through time oh, so what man. so okay, cool. so what what shredder <laughs> vows to do is he vows to rebuild the foot clan but from the nah. beginning Oh, so, so you're going feudal. So yes. So we yes. so we see Shredder start to go through different points in time, but not just ancient feudal Japan. He's going into the future and getting stuff. He's going into the past and getting stuff. He's getting outlaws and criminals and and thieves and assassins <laughs> from all different His, times. History's greatest villains: Jack the Ripper, Evil Lincoln. Exactly. He's yeah. getting all these people. He's gathering forces throughout time, <laughs> right? And Stockman is slowly but surely turning into a giant fly man in a V-neck sweater. That's that's all you could do with Baxter Stockman. He's yes. just doomed to become a fly He's man. He's going to become a giant fly man. But he yep. also created, because of this, he also creates Bebop and Rocksteady. And as the turtles continue to like study this, these oddities, they, are, they do fight Baxter Stockman. They fight Bebop and Rocksteady. They fight the Mausers. And they're kind of putting all this together. And then they t- chase down to Baxter Stockman's lab where they fight him off as the giant fly. And then they notice that he's been creating these holes in space time. And they kind of piece the plan together because Donatello is a genius. So that what they do is they actually travel back through time to fight the foot clan as it continues to form throughout time. And they fight Baxter, Metalhead, Bebop and Rocksteady. And eventually we fight Shredder in, in a messed up cyberpunk 
sort of 1980s New York City that's completely overrun with the Foot Clan and crazy technology, very reminiscent of The Last Ronin. And of course, the last fight is on a rooftop in the rain in this kind of New York meets Tokyo, neon, cyberpunk, big old fight between Shredder and the Foot Clan and this, this assembled Foot Clan. And they fight him and they finally beat Shredder and they trap him away with one of these with one of these devices that Stockman creates that Donatello repurposes. And when Shredder comes to on the other side, he realizes he's in Dimension X. Okay. And that's where we're going to leave the film. Oh, awesome. Shredder's trapped in Dimension X. Maybe we get a Krang teaser because obviously yeah, it's the post credits, post credits, Krang, post credits, Krang, who goes up to, to Shredder and says, I'll help you get back to your time if you help me build the body. And okay. Shredder has to help him build the body with Bebop and Rocksteady. You get that weird cartoon stuff with the Technodrome and all that. And I'm calling my movie because I love it so much. Turtles in time. Oh, dude. Uh, fucking this is just, I'm actually I'm standing up. Listeners at home, standing ovation. I'm standing up at my microphone and clapping. That was and I want, beautiful. I love it. And I want them to fight ninjas and outlaws and pirates and all this stuff. Oh, my God. This is way better than my pitch. I'm embarrassed now. That's excellent. Wow. Love that. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Fuck that. yeah, dude. So actually what I would say is it does almost doesn't matter what period you set your movie in because you could travel and have a big, long 1980 sequence. I, I think that's great. Yeah, no, I think it's awesome. Yeah. I think that's awesome fucking love that yeah thank you man i i don't like i said i don't really have great casting uh but well, i, know, I knew when, a couple of people a, when it's a creature film the you know sometimes the who voices the creature is not as important if you're not gonna see their face you know Exa- exactly and you could kind of go with anyone for the you turtles could. really could sure. you could have you a could. lot of fun with it you could a lot of fun do you have any picks for like who you would have voice the turtles ah no nah, you know I, I would absolutely be making it up off the top of my head okay i'm like people whose voices i like which is not really anything you know I, I get it i get it yeah all right i'll attempt to follow that listeners you know please be aware my my pitch is not nearly as cool as turtles in time i think it has some cool aspects but it's not it's not that so how about this Ooh, cowabunga dude thank you um so i am pitching a miniseries so i, I believe this would be a live action miniseries that's how i saw it in my head but i like it already yeah, obviously, live action miniseries presents a lot of challenges. Uh, but you know what? Fucking Amazon's spending like half a billion dollars on Lord of the Rings or whatever the hell they're doing now. So maybe it's possible. Yeah, no, I totally get it. Yeah. All right. So the idea behind this was I wanted to reduce the turtles to some base elements of their characters because I thought the turtles individually were really cool and I wanted to spend some time with them alone before I put them back together so I kind of created this story this story does not respect any kind of turtles continuity it's basically it's like a turtles elseworlds tale you know consider it like you would the Joaquin Joker movie to Batman like this is just I'm taking those characters I'm doing something else telling my own story this would never fit back into any organized continuity for turtles I'm just taking the turtles characters and being like well what if we did this i love it this turtles mini series is broken up into five parts uh so there are, there would be five episodes because in my mind it's always the four turtles and splinter right of course so it's, it's it's five and i i also also think of like just the number five having some significance in this series in some way so the movie basically begins similar to yours where the turtles are in their later teenage years they've, they've been an organization for a while and that is evident both in their personalities and in their struggle against 
the Foot Clan, which is still a criminal syndicate that they are battling against. Uh, you know, in the beginning of my film, you know, Shredder is up to his latest, you know, illegal hijinks or whatever the hell he's up to. But um, the big event of my movie, the inciting incident, or the big event of my miniseries, the inciting incident is that Splinter is murdered. And it's not like in a flashy action sequence. It's like they get back to the lair and Splinter is is dying, like his last breaths, like Donatello no. cannot save him. And um, Splinter's last words to the turtles is uh, he, he's too weak to explain. Obviously, they're going to look for clues, but he prom- makes them promise, like, don't don't swear revenge because because mm-hmm. Splinter Splinter knows something about how this is going to untangle. And uh, he does not want them to take revenge for his murder. And they're even begging him. Raphael's begging him on his deathbed. Tell me who did this. And he, just, he won't tell him. And he just he dies and he tells them to take care of each other. Those are his last words. Oh, man. I love that, but it's yeah, so sad. It's so sad. Uh, so Splinter dies. I've done the unforgivable thing. I killed Splinter first. Uh, so obviously this is this would never fit into a turtle's like continuity. I'm telling my own story, all right? That's fine. So we get a fucking fight that breaks out between the four of them because they just don't know what to do next. These are teenage teenagers. These are, yeah. you know, they're in their late teens. They're not mature enough to handle the death of their only parent. April is around and she's trying to, keep things calm for them she's recently broken up with casey jones so she's uh hanging out with the turtles at this point they end up doing a fucking beatles right they break up right at the start of this whole thing so i've destroyed the characters already splinter is dead they don't know who killed him he told them not to take revenge because it would only destroy them he told them to take care of each other they do the opposite they they split apart they say we we don't want to be part of this family anymore probably Raphael says like the most hurtful thing splinter was the glue that held us together and, uh, you know, I'm going to avenge him and you can't stop me. Right. So what I do then is I split this into four miniseries episodes that are all hour long films. And each one centers on just one turtle putting together a different part of the mystery. OK, so uh, they're all titled based on the color of the turtle's mask Ooh, that they center cool. around. Yeah. And they are all their own genre of film. Oh, that's okay? great. So we are going to completely split them up into their own pulp genre of what it is they're doing. So part one is called Blue Moon. Sounds like a fucking Twilight movie, but it's not. It's called Blue Moon. This is Leonardo's movie. Mm -hmm. Okay. Leonardo travels to Japan. This is his way of escaping his kind of feelings over the death of his father. He knows that the Foot Clan has its origins in Japan, and that is where he believes Shredder is. And even though I think Leonardo more than anyone doesn't want to take revenge for Splinter's murder, and he knows it'll only undo them in the end. He, he just has to find out more. So he figures he's going to get them at the source. He picks up a contact in Japan, Usagi Yojimbo, right? Yeah! My, uh, my samurai rabbit. I, I couldn't that. stay away from him. He's, he's awesome. Great. And Usagi's like his his boots on the ground in, in Japan. Usagi tells him like, yeah, the, the foot is bad here. Shredder is in town. They've ruined Tokyo. I, we really need your help. And the uh, music style for this film is like very much like Japanese punk rock, like yeah. very, very aggressive and fun, but then also counterbalanced with like the very contemplative uh, sort of plaintive music that plays when there's like a really intense samurai katana battle. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a, a movie that is kind of addressing the systemic problems caused by the Foot Clan crime syndicate uh, in Japan almost and shows you like their punk rock edge too. So we have the Foot Clan who are like, Yes, they're absolutely the dedicated ninjas in that order. Yes. But also there's like guys who are like the street level guys in the Foot Clan who are almost like the Yakuza. Right. So it's like a whole scene there. And suddenly there's the word of this Avenger in a blue mask who has come to Tokyo, who's fighting with their enemy, Usagi Ujimbo. And um, and 
basically he's going to duel with Shredder uh, in this uh, uh, nightclub at the end of the film on the rooftop. Of course, Mike, of course, in the rain, maybe in snow under a blue moon. And Usagi is like, uh, Yujimbo is critically injured. He can't continue the fight. Leonardo takes up the fight and uh, Shredder uh, believes he kills him. Okay. The, the duel does not end with Leonardo winning. Shredder actually believes he kills Leonardo and, and Shredder flees. He actually, the, 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 the important information that we find out in this first film is that Shredder has pressing business in New York. He must return. And there is vaguely hinted at something like supernatural or something other going on that maybe Splinter found out that he should not have. And it was the reason why he was killed. Um, we also are introduced in this film to uh, Karai. Karai yep. is a series staple character at Shredder's daughter. And there is, or at least there seems to be some kind of romantic interest between uh, Leonardo and Karai. I know that that is super weird, turtle interest and human interest, but the series has always flirted with this and I'm not, I'm not taking it away. So it seems like they have like some kind of a love relationship or a love tryst, romantic tryst, where she's rebelling against Shredder. She's an ally, but she's not ready to really leave yet. And I think she and Leonardo are kind of maybe even hanging out by the end of that film. So that's Blue Moon. That's beautiful. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. So that is my martial arts action thriller, very much in the style of, you know, sure, sure, the the Kill Bill scene and all that stuff. Yeah, dude. So good. All right. Next one I've got is Purple Rain. Purple Rain is Donatello. I want a Prince soundtrack. Yes, Purple uh, I'll, I'll, Rain. You know what? Yeah, we <laughs> Purple Rain. I have an infinite budget on How About This, so we can pay for the rights for the Prince music. Of course. You know what? Fucking Tim Burton did it in Batman. Why not? That's that he did. This is a miniseries episode or a mini film that is led by Donatello and April O'Neil. Awesome. Um, Already good. I am, I am rekindling the romance between them. The genre for this film is it is a horror romance in the style of the shape of water so donatello is yeah monster and human that's it monster and human donatello is you know he's trying to reconcile with his father's death uh he's doing the best he can he really researched the crime scene and he found some mutagen at the at the crime scene he found some ooze he does not know what's up with this ooze they haven't seen ooze like this in a while he does not know what's going on so he's trying to investigate but he gets distracted in his investigation by his feelings for april he has really fallen in love with her. It seems like she maybe even loves him, but she cannot get past his appearance. So this is yeah. an old trope for these two characters. And Donatello begins to research what it would be like to take away his mutation, right? To actually turn himself into a human. So I'm doing a reverse of the fly yeah. in this film. Yeah. Where in this movie, Donatello is trying to slowly turn himself into a human and also trying to romance April. Hilariously, the villain in this film is Baxter Stockman, who is literally trying to do the opposite to the rest of New York City. So what <laughs> Donatello has kind of stumbled across is Stockman is literally adding like mutagen ooze to the water supply. <laughs> like he is trying to turn the city into um, mutants. For yes. what purpose? Donatello does not know. This film ends or develops into, uh, unfortunately for Donatello in his work, he actually ends up mutating himself worse. Oh, he actually becomes like the beastly giant yes. turtle version that you might have seen in some comic books. Um, and this will not have a good ending from him. In this film, I'm also going to drop the fact that prior to the events of Splinter's murder, Donatello's side project had been building Metalhead. Yes. But Metalhead has never come to life yet, but that is kind of on the back burner in this film. And I think if we want to like really amp up the stakes of the narrative, I think April is almost getting to love him before he totally fucks up his transforming into a human and becomes a monster. Donatello is a disfigured, horrible monster by the end of this. 
Baxter Stockman's up to something. Why does he want to you know turn the world into mutants? Something's going on with this ooze. Amazing. Third film. Uh, this is my film noir, obviously. Okay. This film is called Red Line. Yeah. Red Line is Raphael's film. Raphael's all rage. Okay. Splinter told him, don't take revenge. It'll be this family's undoing. And Raphael was like, listen, I don't care. I'm taking revenge. I'm going to find exactly who killed you and I'm going to do horrible things to them. Okay. So Raphael's cast in our, you know, vigilante detective role. He insists on hunting down Shredder. He finds out that Shredder has returned from Japan and he is somewhere in the city. So he starts, you know, going around to the bars, trying to find what he can find. At some point in various points during the film, he's hunting down Bebop and Rocksteady specifically. We end up in Chinatown for a bit. This whole thing has a very Sin City vibe to it. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Uh, Casey Jones is the other major character in this film. And he learns through Casey Jones who killed Splinter. And he finds out it was Karai. Okay, he finds out it was the girl who's been romancing Leonardo, right? So uh, he goes after Karai. He ends up killing Bebop or, I don't know, maiming Bebop if I can't kill him or killing Rocksteady. Gets rid of all these folks. I think maybe even Casey Jones is hurt by the end of this. And the, the big takeaway from Redline is that he knows he has to to kill Karai, even if he has to kill Leonardo to do it. Because I think maybe even in Redline, Leonardo has shown up with this girl. And Raphael puts it together by the end that I have to kill this girl. <laughs> Even if I have to go through Leonardo, I must avenge our father. Right. Wow. And again, we've got this noir punk rock, maybe jazzy punk rock. I don't know. Something. Yeah, no, uh, I get it, dude. Edge that I love film. It. Super violent. You know. All right. And then the fourth film seems like a departure, but it's actually not. It's like the, the pieces fall into place. This film is called Orange Crush. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hang loose, dude. Orange Crush. I actually I have a. So this is going to be like a hangout surfer film. Yeah. And I think it's also a quasi musical. Yeah. <laughs> and I have the opening shot established where it's like, it's going to be like this beautiful aerial overhead shot with like big surf rock playing and it's a beach and people are surfing and it's beautiful. And you're going to see a sign above a pier and it's going to say long beach. And you think it's long beach, California, but then the camera pans down. There's like a bunch of fucking garbage and shit. It's like, Oh, it's long beach, New York. It's long beach, long Island. Right. <laughs> Right. So it's just it's trash because you're still in New York. Right. Yeah. So this film is very much in the style of like it's a big Lebowski once upon a time in Hollywood, you know, hangout film. Michelangelo's a party dude. He is the brother that ran away from the problem. Yep. OK. Didn't want to investigate. Didn't want to take revenge. You know, didn't want to go Leonardo's route and take some responsibility and address systemic issues. He's like, nope, fuck it. Running away. I'm going to be a big fat surfer. I don't care. So he's eating pizza, he's surfing, he's picking up girls, you know, my movies do not really deal with like, oh, these girls like him and these girls, whatever. Some women are attracted to the turtles, I guess, just not, <laughs> not April. Michelangelo's doing fine. Okay. So he runs into another mutated character. Leatherhead is also in this town. Okay. Leatherhead, he's the Cajun gumbo lover, right? He fucking hangs out at this one bar all the time called the Orange Crush, named after the soda. And there's like fucking soda decorating everything. And, uh, he learns from Leatherhead something that is truly disturbing. Leatherhead is a drunk in this film, uh, probably always. And he learns from Leatherhead that Leatherhead, this guy's clearly been in the sauce because he is telling him a story where Leatherhead has been forcibly abducted in the past into another dimension. And he's had horrible experiments done on him by this being called Krang, right? And Krang has this henchman, Baxter Stockman, who they've encountered before, right, who uh, wants Baxter Stockman to essentially prepare the way for his arrival. 
Okay. So Michelangelo's like, ah, oh, fuck. I got to like, all right, I got to tell the guys. I got to like figure this out. Right. So, uh, you know, he, he ends up venturing. He's got the party van, right? He ends up venturing into the city to like tell them about this. And like, I, I want it to very much be in like a series of like haphazard ass backward ways, like finds his way to like telling the guys like, hey, this is the deal. Baxter Stockman, he's like possessed by this being from another dimension. The being is called Krang. Krang wants him to mutate the city and bring him into this world. And I think the guy facilitating all this is Shredder. And I think our father got killed because he found out. Yeah. I think he just, he found out at the crucial moment. And then finally we get to our fifth film. Very, very general description. The fifth film is called Blackout. Okay. It's, it's like the culmination, all four brothers coming together. There's a citywide power outage because Baxter Stockman is playing his last card, which is to bring Krang into this world. And Krang has promised both Baxter and Shredder to be basically like the new fucking generals in his new world order. Uh, certainly the Krang monster comes through in like some kind of big fucking robot body. Um, Donatello sacrifices himself early on and dies as the big monster creature, which keeps getting bigger, like Godzilla size, and fights the big Krang body and dies. But he's uploaded his consciousness into Metalhead Mm -hmm. and lives on in Metalhead, this robot that kind of like now sort of, I guess, achingly loves April from afar. Um, Raphael goes for Karai because even though he should have his eye on the fucking ball and trying to go after Shredder or something like that, he needs to avenge Splinter and he can't get around it, even though Karai has realized the error of her ways and is fighting on the right side. So Leonardo and Raphael end up fighting. I've got Leonardo chopping off Raph's hand, like in the in the fight. Ultimately, Karai dies in a fight against Shredder, against yeah. her own father. Yeah. Um, so she redeems her honor. Uh, Raphael, because he's lost his hand and is critically injured, can't finish the fight. So he doesn't get to avenge Shredder, uh, sorry, avenge Splinter, but Shredder is dead. Ultimately, Krang is defeated and the family is, is put back together. But there's that lingering rift, right? They're changed for the experience. Donatello is a robot. Raph has lost a hand and maybe doesn't trust his brother as much as he used to. Uh, Leonardo has lost his love and Michelangelo has found a sense of serious purpose. And that is my mini series, which I'm tentatively calling Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Splintered. I love that. That's awesome. Awesome. Thanks, man. Really yeah, cool. So that's, that's my mini series. That was I, awesome. You know, I got the chills. All right. Yeah. yeah. That's what I would do. And I think, you know, it, it would probably be, you know, too violent for a PG-13 reading. I don't know. It'd probably be an R, but it's like yeah. a low R. It's like I, a fun not, R. Not, yeah, it's fun R. It's not gross violence. It's like, you know, maybe a little bit beyond what you'd see in Guardians. You know, yeah. it's not anything crazy. Dude, I love that. That's yeah. such a good way to handle it, too. And you know what? A good, unique take on the turtles because we've seen so much done with them before. So that's awesome, dude. Thank you so much for that, dude. Thanks, man. Yeah, that was fun. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I'll probably miss missed some things in there. And I'm sure there's other things that would enhance this a bit. But I, I, I like this idea of like taking them apart to put them back together. I think those kinds of stories work. And I think they this do. group benefits from that. They do. They do. Especially since the turtles are so important as a team. It's it's interesting to have that internal sure. conflict. Yeah, you want to see like a disassembled event with them. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. No, I love that. Well, dude, that was great. That's what you got out there in the Internet. Thank you so much for listening. This has been an awesome episode of How About This, a radical episode of How About This, a tubular episode of How About This. Tubular. Yeah. Radical, dude. And Jordan (laughs) and I absolutely love the turtles. And we're so happy that you hung hung out with us and listened to us talk about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So once again, I have to thank the best co-host this side of Dimension X, Mr. Jordan Hugh. And I would have to thank Mike. He's a big brain in a jar. Oh, 
That's right. I am. And thank you so much for listening. You can catch us here every week and season two is cooking up. We got some good stuff for you coming up in the future, in the future and continue to listen and continue to share us out there on the internet. So once again, Cowabunga! And there you have it, and thank you for listening to the first episode of Season 2 of How About This. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed our travel through time and through Turtles fandom over the years. Jordan and I clearly love the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and we hope you enjoy them as well. You can find us, as always, on Facebook and Instagram at How About This Pod. And you can always reach out to us with a review or a like or a subscribe or all those things because it makes the show that much more visible. So once again, from Jordan and Mike, thank you so very, very much for listening to this week's episode. And we'll see you next time with a new episode of How About This.